All right, good morning. If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 is, what, is where we're going to be. Uh, let me just uh, echo what Dustin said a little bit. Um, in, in a lot of ways, I was, I was actually thinking about this this morning. Uh, Dustin keeps saying that we've they've been around for three years. Dustin, June 1st is four years that you and I uh, started at, started the same month. I think I was in the office one week ahead of Dustin, uh, so I got to stake out all the good stuff, right, all the furniture that they put in our offices. I went into Dustin's office and got out what I wanted from his and then uh, left it there. No, uh, in a lot of ways, I can't tell my story over the past four years uh, without Dustin and his family. And you guys, man, you guys are so blessed uh, to, to have him. I really do. I do count him as a brother. And listen, I, do, I, I did this at Malden when I went, and I want to see if you guys respond the, the same way. Here's what I would challenge you to do. I'm so thankful for this guy that I want you to give him gifts, all right? So at some point during the week, like grab a $10 Starbucks gift card, all right, and give it to him with a little note and tell him why you're thankful for him. But don't just list out like why you're thankful for him. Also like list out one bad quality on there so it keeps him humble, all right? That's what we're about. We're about balance, all right? But seriously, grab him a gift card, tell him you love him, and I bet he'll buy you a cup of coffee uh, with that, all right? Let's pray real quick, and then we're going to dive into the message. God, I just pray that right now you would uh, give me grace, that you would help me uh, to, to preach your word and, and to preach it with clarity, dear God, and boldness, to, so that what you want said might be said uh, today, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Uh, so to, uh, Dustin mentioned today is the last day in Counterfeit Gospel series. Now, uh, this, this series, and I, I'm actually blaming this 100% on Dustin. This series was Dustin's idea entirely, all right? But it's, one of, it's been one of the hardest series I've ever had to prepare for, for uh, really one specific reason. Every week we get up here, we try to, we try to give you truth, right? We give you the truth of Scripture. <clears throat> this week, or over the past six weeks, we've not only tried to expose truth to you, we've tried to expose the lie to you, right? And so what we've really done is we've tried to look at the Christian worldview. And you may not even know this, but everybody in this room has a worldview, right? A set of lenses through which you see the world. We have a Christian worldview. The problem is there are so many times that our worldview gets a little fogged up, like a little speck in it, like a little dust on it, with the lies of the world. So what we've tried to do with this series is to, like, clean off the worldview glasses and replace them with truth. And this series has been really hard to prepare for uh, because we've had to look at the truth and the lie. And today we're going to do that one more time. Now, if you've been here over the past six weeks, the past five weeks have really been us exposing lies of, of Christianity when Christianity moves in a liberal direction. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. That as you go, as you walk through your Christian walk, and I'm not talking about liberal politics, okay? I'm talking about liberal in a different sense. As you go through your Christian walk, the temptation is to always take stuff out of Scripture, right? Well, I know that the Bible says this, but I really don't like what the Bible says about it, so I'm just going to take it out, right? And, and so we've looked at lies like all good people go to heaven. Well, we that. That's not really true, so we just kind of take what the Bible says and we take that out of it. And so we've looked at lies where that move Christianity in a liberal direction. Here's what I want you to understand. That as we walk in our Christian walk, the Christian faith is not tempted to just go one direction. There are a lot of times we're tempted to move in a more legalistic direction. Where instead of taking away something from Scripture, we add something to Scripture. 
And, and if we're not careful with that, the lie that we tend to believe, instead of taking away stuff, we start to add stuff and we begin to believe this lie. It's my job to judge other people. It, or maybe another way, a better way to say this lie is it's my job to make sure people know what's right and that they are wrong, right? And really, this is adding to Scripture. It's putting more pressure on you than Scripture puts on you. The, the reality is that as we walk as Christians, really, really, this is a temptation for those of us who have been Christians longer than five minutes, okay? That as we become Christians, the temptation for us as believers is to develop what we on the teaching team have called a crusader mentality. Now, I don't know if you know the history of the Crusades, but in around the year 1095, the, the church launched a series of what they determined were holy wars, then they called them the Crusades. And here's what was happening. The church had really moved from, uh, from uh, the Middle East and, and, and from the Horn of Africa and all these places, and it had moved and become located in Western Europe, right? This is when uh, Rome becomes the capital of the church. But as the church moved into Western Europe, the, what the people that the Christians considered pagans started to move into the Middle East and take over what were some pretty prominent Christian cities, right? Think, for instance, of Jerusalem. So at this point, Jerusalem actually falls into the hands uh, of, Islamic, of the Islamic religion, and the Christians in Western Europe look on this and they get really disturbed, and instead of going and winning back the people for Jesus who were in Jerusalem, they launch a series of holy wars that become known as the Crusades. And the sole objective of the Crusades was to go in the name of Jesus and cut other people because we were right and they were wrong. Okay, It's a really low point of Christian history. So with all that in mind, the reason why I bring this up as we can still fall into the temptation today to become crusaders in the name of Jesus. We can fall into the temptation where we believe it is our job to go with the truth, to go armed with the truth, and to go and cut those people who do not have the truth with the truth. Such that we go into the world and we're just mean, harsh, critical, judgmental people because we want to make sure people know we've got it right and you've got it wrong. So we develop this crusader mentality. The problem with this mindset is that we are not called to be crusaders. We are called to be ambassadors. There's a fundamental difference between the two. Crusaders cut people for Jesus. Ambassadors carry the message of Jesus to people. So God has called us to live with this ambassador mindset and to relate to other people as if we know the gospel and we want to give them the gospel, not as if we want to cut them with the truth. Is everybody tracking with me so far? All right. With that in mind, we're going to come to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus begins to really lay out for us a way of life, a path of life, that if we will follow this path of life, we can live as ambassadors instead of crusaders. We can learn how to carry the truth in the world, but carry it as people who want to love people for Jesus, not as people who want to cut people for Jesus. All right. With that in mind, Matthew 7, let's read it together. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is up on a mountain. He's teaching to his disciples. And here's what he has to say as he closes out his sermon. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, one of the most confusing verses in all of Scripture. Okay, we're going, we'll get to it in just a minute. Verse 6 says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what Jesus has given us here is a pathway to being ambassadors instead of crusaders. That we can move past this lie where we begin to think it's our job to make sure other people know that they're wrong and move into a place where we carry the, the message of Jesus Christ to other people in the way that Jesus would have us to. Now, in order to do that, we've got to recognize a few things that Jesus is telling us from this passage. The first thing that I want you to see from this passage that you have to understand if you are going to live as an ambassador is this. We have to understand that God is the judge. God is the judge. Jesus starts off this section of Scripture with an imperative statement, all right, a, a command. He says, judge not. Now, I want you to understand something. That is a commandment that he is giving to believers without any asterisk beside it, with no exceptions applied. That he is looking to believers and saying to believers, you are to be the kind of person who does not judge other people. Now, the question that should immediately come to mind is what does this mean to judge other people here? And this is, a really important, uh, this is a really important discussion because, listen, we know that we don't want to be people who are judgmental and, and harsh with other people in the world. And can't we be honest that this is the main accusation that the world brings against Christians? They're just a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. So what's the judgment that Jesus has in mind here? Well, we've got to understand the judgment Jesus has in mind here. It, the word judgment comes from a Greek word that means to condemn strongly. In other words, to draw a line in the sand. It, it, it means to be harsh with other people. Now, the reason why it's important to understand this is that this is not a commandment in Jesus' mind to avoid, uh, uh, avoid observation or make a value statement. Jesus is not saying, hey, never make a moral definitive statement again in your life. That's not what's happening here, okay? The reason why it's important to understand this is that the, there are often times when the outside world looks at the church and they accuse us of being judgmental when we are, in fact, just making value statements, all right? And listen, we're going to be understood in that way. It's okay, but we need to make sure that we're judging the way Jesus tells us to and the way we, we, he tells us not to. So we, Jesus is not saying that you can't make a value statement. Let me give you an example of a value statement. A value statement is that as Christians who are made in the image of God, we believe that men are men and women are women. Okay? That is a value statement. It says we believe this. A value statement is that as God created male and female, we believe marriage is between man and woman. All right? That is a statement that says we believe this. Now, notice what I didn't say there. I didn't say that if you struggle with any of this stuff, you're a lost sinner who's dead, dying, and going to hell, and you should never come back to this church, right? Those are two different statements. One is a value statement. The other is a judgment. What Jesus is saying here is that Jesus is saying the first is okay, the second has no place among those who are Christians. This is a warning. I want you to, to, to focus in on what I'm about to say. This is a warning. 
not to look on other people and render them guilty sinners unworthy of grace because of the presence of sin in their life. Why? Because it's not your place to determine that. The reminder here is that you should not judge other people with sin in their life because you are not the final judge. Look at what he says. He says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you used, it will be measured to you. What's that mean? Jesus is saying there that even as you sit in judgment upon another person, that you aren't the final person who's ever going to judge. In other words, what Jesus seems to be saying is that when you sit on the throne of judgment, you're sitting in someone else's chair. And there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to be forced to get up out of God's seat of judgment and God will sit down in that seat of judgment and then he's going to judge you. And when that moment comes, do you not want to have been someone who was gracious toward other people? You're not the final judge. It's not your place to determine that. In other words, what Jesus seems to be getting at is just this truth. God is the judge in our lives and for everyone else. Now, this is a really big deal. It, this may be an even bigger deal than you realize this morning. Because, listen, I know there are a lot of people here, and over the past week, just, just over the past week in your life, you've heard, well, this person did that, or this person uh, did this at work, or this person's in jail for this. And when you heard those statements, you criticized and judged harshly, and you probably didn't think anything about it. And I think a lot of times we don't realize how big a deal this is. But we have to understand that this is a big deal because our judgment upon others reveals the nature of the judgment we will one day receive from God. This is what Jesus is saying. How you judge others reveals, now notice I didn't say determines. It doesn't determine. It reveals the nature of the judgment you're going to get from God one day. How can this be so? It's so because your judgment of other people reveals what you believe and what you have experienced about grace and judgment. And it is impossible to be someone who has stood before God in judgment. Do you realize that's what Christians all understand that we've done? We've stood before God in judgment, and instead of experiencing the wrath of God we deserve in our lives, what we've experienced is the grace of Jesus upon our lives. And it is impossible to be someone who has experienced the grace of Jesus in our lives and then not turn around and give that grace to other people. If you are someone who gives little grace to other people, you are a person who has received little grace from Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, that's fine. Go ahead and give little grace. What you're doing is you're testifying against yourself that I don't have grace in my own life. I want to say it this way. The person who gives little grace has little grace and will one day get little grace. Let me give you the best illustration that Scripture gives us for this. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us the story of the unforgiving debtor. You may have heard this story before. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, it's really popular. But Jesus is telling the story of a man who had accumulated a massive debt. All right, This debt was, 
beyond recognition. It, it, a lot of scholars say that if you take the number that Jesus gives that for this man's debt and you put it into modern-day equivalents, that you would be talking about a man who is hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. So Jesus is telling us a story about a man who is $100 million in debt. Now think about this with me. The thing that bothers me with this story is just how someone gets $100 million in debt, okay? I got a pretty good credit score, okay? Like, my, I checked FICO the other day. I'm doing pretty good, all right? When I go into car dealerships, they call me Mr. Wilson. You know what I'm saying? They give me like a bottle of water. They check my credit score. They don't give me anything. They check my credit score. I'm like, Sir, would you like a bottle of water, right? And, and they give me the good stuff, right? We're not talking about like Deer Park. We're talking about Fiji, okay? I got a good credit score. I don't have a mindset for how I could, with my good credit score, get $100 million in debt. But yet, that's exactly where the person in Matthew 18 finds himself. They're $100 million in debt, and get this, they have no hope of getting out. And so Jesus says that the man who is in such debt, he comes before his lender, and he falls on his knees and says, give me more time and I will repay you. And the lender looks at him and does something really strange. It says he's filled with compassion. Like the, the words are that he just feels something in his guts towards him. And as, he feel, as he's filled with compassion, he makes a horrible business decision. And he forgives him of every dime that he owes. He says, I forgive you, you are free, go. And so the man walks out. Now can you imagine the weight lifted off of your shoulders? That if you owed the bank $100 million, and then all of a sudden you didn't anymore, how you'd feel, right? I can only imagine, like, if tomorrow I log into usbank.com and my mortgage is gone, like, it's a new day. I'll take everybody in this room to lunch, we will, and I'm not talking a small lunch. We'll go wherever you want to, okay? Imagine the weight that would be lifted. So this guy has this weight lifted. He goes into the street, and we're told that he sees someone who owes him money. And the equivalency that if we put, scholars say that if we put the equivalency of what this man owed the guy who had just been forgiven, it would be like $100. So the man who's been forgiven $100 million finds the man who owes him $100, and what would you expect him to do? You'd say, you'd expect him to say, hey man, don't worry, it's a good day. Instead, we're told he's rough with him and puts him against the wall and demands that he be thrown in jail until his last penny can be paid. And here's Jesus' point. No one who has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, who has experienced the massive weight of sin being removed from your plate, could ever look at other people and judge them as harshly when we've not been judged harshly. So let's, let's think about this. Let's have a moment of examination. Do, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I routinely judge people harshly? Do I routinely hear about what so-and-so did, read the news, scroll through Facebook, and see the shortcomings of other people, and then think, man, those people are messed up. Those people are sinners. Those people need to get it figured out. Do I routinely judge the sins of others harshly? Because, listen, it's a crusader mentality that looks at others and says they need to get the truth in their heart because they're messed up. It's an ambassador mentality that takes the truth, of, the truth people need to them. So the first thing we've got to understand to be an ambassador is God's the judge. The second thing we've got to understand to be an ambassador is this. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. It never fails 
that anytime I meet someone who has a crusader mentality, the most dominant trait about their, their personality is that they think they are more than they actually are. They think they are better than they actually are. So Christ here provides a second reminder as to why we should be slow to judge the sins of others. Here's the reminder. Other people are not bigger sinners than we are. Other people are not bigger sinners than you are. I want to make sure you understand exactly what I'm saying. Just because you sin differently or more discreetly does not make you less of a sinner. You might be a different kind of sinner, but you are no less of a sinner. Moreover, just because you're further along in your pursuit of Christ, and Christ is not more of your rough edges off, does not mean you are less of a sinner than the person who has walked through the doors for the first time today, still smelling of the night before. You might be a different kind of sinner, but you're not less of a sinner. I love the way Robert uh, Murray McShane said this. He was a pastor in Ireland. Here's the way he said it. The seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. I would say this, the seed of every sin is in every heart. In other words, listen, given the right circumstances, under the right conditions, with the right amount of pressure, there is nothing you wouldn't do. So when we are tempted to respond harshly with judgment to other people, Christ has a solution for us. You need to go look in the mirror and look at your own sin. And I love what Jesus does here. Jesus, I think sometimes we, we kind of become so familiar with just all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did that we kind of lose track with just how amazing Jesus was. And more than anything, Jesus was an amazing teacher. And he wants to prove a point about just how ignorant you are if you look at other people and judge them harshly when they're sinning in your own life. So he gives us an illustration. His illustration is this. Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. So I, I love this. The speck idea, really, the, when you, when it, to take it, Jesus had his word, the, the idea of having a speck in your own eye, this is really even too big for what Jesus means. The, the actual word there it could, be, could mean dust or like sawdust, right? And so think about somebody who had a piece of sawdust in their eye, right? Now, the thing about somebody who has a piece of sawdust in their eye, you have to go around looking for it to be able to notice that it's even there, right? In other words, Jesus is saying to notice the amount of sin that's in your brother's life, a lot of times what you have to do is put yourself on a pedestal and become the sin police, where you're going around saying, oh, I think that guy, person's got this going on. Man, I think that person's got this going on. So that their brother, your brother has a speck in their eye, and they're walking around with that, and you're like, look how dumb they are. Meanwhile, Jesus says they've got the speck in their eye, and you've got a plank in your eye. And now the word for plank is literal log. Now, imagine how stupid, number one, I look right now, I can only imagine, all right? But how dumb someone is when they walk around, right, and they're looking for the speck in other people's eye. All the while, there's a plank sticking out of their own eye. And Jesus is saying, this is who you are. That when you live judging others harshly without first confronting your own sin, this is who you are. 
And now this image should stick out to us of just how obscene and out of, how, out of the ordinary this is. And Jesus' illustration is trying to teach us two things. First, Jesus wants us to see that we need to see our sin as a bigger deal than the sin of others. We need to see our sin as a bigger deal than the sin of others. When you see, and this can be a moment of examination, when you see other people's sin as bigger than yours, Jesus is saying it's because you haven't looked adequately at your own sin. Jesus wants us to see your sin is of more pressing concern to you than anyone else's sin. Because what Jesus will help us understand is this. Your sin will keep no one else out of heaven. You know who it will keep out of heaven? You. So your sin needs to be more of a concern than anything else has got going on. Before you deal with the adultery in someone else's life, let's deal with the lustful thoughts in your own mind. Before you deal with the embezzlement of the person at work, let's deal with the gossiping tongue you took home. Your sin is a bigger deal than other sin. Second, Jesus wants us to see this. We have to deal with our own sin before we aim to correct the sin of others. So let me ask you this. Is your sin as big a deal to you as other sin is? And I, I'll just make it real practical. When you're arguing with your spouse, is your sin a bigger deal to you than their sin? The next time you're in a, a disagreement with somebody, I want you to notice your words. Do you think you're in the disagreement because they did this or they did that or because you did this or you did that? Is your sin as big a deal to you as other sin is? The final thing we have to do is we have to see this. We have a responsibility. So here, this is really kind of important to all tie together, okay? Because thus far, all I've told you how to do, if you've been paying attention, is not cut people. You see what I'm saying? We've talked about we need to be ambassadors, not crusaders. I haven't yet told you how to take the message of Jesus to other people. All I've done is told you how not to take the message of Jesus to other people, right? Don't be a jerk. Don't be focused on other people's sin, right? So the question for us becomes, how do we actually go about taking the message of Jesus to other people in an appropriate way? What Jesus is calling us to is to be ambassadors. How do we do that? I want you to see something. Jesus says these words in verse 3. I mean, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then here's what he says. Then you will see clearly to take the log out of your brother's eye, the speck out of your brother's eye. Here's the point. It is not that we don't have a responsibility to help other people who are called in sin. Can I tell you, that is the point of the church. If you are here today and you are a first-time guest, it's because another person in this room felt that they had a responsibility to help you in your sin. All right? They think you're a sinner. I'm just letting the cow out of the bag, okay? But there's an appropriate way to go about this. When we have sought to deal with our sin appropriately, in a spirit of humility, we go to others and help them with their sin. We do not go to other people as judging harshly. We do so as people who have been spared what they are in by the grace of God in our own life. My grandmother used to have a very particular way of saying this. She would say, but for the grace of God go I. 
And what I, my grandma, I just wish y'all could know this way, 86 years old now, served the Lord faithfully her whole life. I heard her say, and she would kill me if she knew I was saying this, I heard her say two curse words my entire life. I'm about to be 28 years old, all right? The, I'm 28 and the woman's cussed twice in 28 years. You know what I mean? She's doing pretty good, all right? Some of y'all cussed twice on the way to church this morning, okay? <laughs> and so the woman loves Jesus. now. But here's what's crazy. Anytime there was a moral failing that my grandmother saw in someone else, here's what she said. There but for the grace of God go I. And she would do this with anybody, right? A, a, a pastor failing to moral, uh, immoral uh, propriety, and she would say, there but for the grace of God go I. I'd be like, well, that's weird because you're 78, right? And, and, and then we would see like, listen, like the lowest of low person, right? The, the person who is strung out on drugs and on the side of the street, she would say, there but for the grace of God go I. And in my mind, I'm thinking, really, Granny? Because I feel like the crack temptation's probably gone at this point, right? I thought that was funny, but, right? It just does, it, w- it would never make sense. But she would always go to other people to help them in their sin, understanding this that if it were not for the grace of God in my life, I could be exactly where you're at. And see, listen, once we understand that, our obligation is to go with other people. And when we go to other people, two things matter. The heart with which we come, we come in humility, and the solution to which we bring. Because listen, if we come to people and offer them, you just need to try harder, you need to do better, you need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more often, we're not offering them what changed us. We go as broken people who have been put back together by the grace of Jesus Christ, and we offer broken people the grace of Jesus Christ. We offer them Jesus. We say, listen, I know you're in a spot where where you're down and out. I know you're believing a lie about this. I know that you've never thought that you were a sinner before. And I'm not telling you to do better. I'm not telling you to try harder. I'm not trying to change your mind. What I want to do is introduce you to the one person who can, Jesus Christ. And I want to be clear with you. This requires wisdom. Because, listen. You are going to want to take the, peop- the message of Jesus Christ to people who need the message of Jesus Christ. But let's just be real clear. clear. Not everybody wants the message of Jesus Christ. This is where verse 6 comes in. Let me just tell you, verse 6 is one of the oddest verses in all Scripture. Look at it with me. Jesus, all of a sudden, as he's talking about judgment, turns and says, Do not give to dogs what is holy. And all of a sudden, in our minds, it kind of becomes like, what is, What's he got against dogs, right? Like, I would have never taken Jesus to be a cat person, right? Because cats are from hell. And, and I would have thought Jesus... Somebody's like, I hate this guy, right? But he, he says, do not give the dogs what is holy. And then he turns on the pigs. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. What's he saying there? He's saying that there are going to be times as you go an amb- as an ambassador that you have this beautiful message of the gospel. And the people who need it aren't going to want it. He said, and in those moments, you've got to be careful to use judgment to not throw what is beautiful before people who are going to trample over it. And here's what this means. That there are some people in your life who need the gospel desperately. But they are so obstinate and hardened and seduced by the lies of the world that they are not going to want it. And in those moments, you've got to use wisdom to know when you carry the message of Jesus 
and to know when you retreat with the message of Jesus to the next person who needs it. Not to go in and start cutting because you might not want it, but you're going to get it today, right? We have to, we have to use wisdom to when, we, to when we take the message of Jesus to other people. So here's the moment of examination for this. Do I humbly try to help those caught in sin see Jesus as the solution they need? Do I humbly, this is going to be on the screen, do I humbly try to help those caught in sin see Jesus as the solution they need? You see, what Jesus wants, to, wants us to understand is that it's not our job to do His work. It's not our job to sit in His seat and to judge with His judgment. It's not our job to cut people with truth. It's our job to, as ambassadors and people who have been fixed, who have been healed by a, a graceful Savior, to take the message of the graceful Savior. So how do we respond to this? I want to offer us three things today, okay? Three things that we do in closing. The first thing I want to offer you is this. We must embrace the grace that is being offered to us. I want to make sure you know this. One day, you will stand before this very judgment that Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus himself will sit on a throne of judgment. Here's the good news. He is a kind judge. And he has already taken the punishment that you deserve. He left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day so that you might not be judged harshly. The judge is literally offering you grace. Will you receive the grace that is being offered to you today? The second thing I want to offer us is this. We need to repent where we have harshly judged others. Can I tell you that as you sit here today, I just believe for most of us that in our mind there came times over the last week where we judged others harshly. You know how I know that happened to you? Because I prepared this message this week, and every day this week I thought about, man, I'm judging others too harshly. We need to repent of that and understand that as we have been given grace, we are going to seek to give grace to others. And then finally, let us be people who go and gracefully take the God of grace to other people. When you leave this place, you have a responsibility. And yes, you may not be able to do it in the way that you, your personality even may, uh, may lean toward. You don't get to cut people. You don't get to yell at people. You don't get to judge people harshly. But you do have a responsibility to take the grace that you have been given and offer that grace to other people. The only question, church, is that when we stand before God on that day of judgment, will we have been faithful to take the grace that has been given to us and offer it to other people? Will you pray with me? God, I pray that today you would just overcome the foolish ramblings of a man. And God, I pray that if I said one thing that was not honoring to you, you would forgive me, Lord. And I just pray that you would overcome any deficiency in the Word by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us hear from you and to draw us closer to you, God. Lord, where we have judged harshly, will you forgive us? Where we have refused to take the message to others, will you forgive us? And Lord, where some of us today need to receive this grace for the very first time, will you move in us to do that? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.